Sam Lekosos, and we are live on our Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch channel with Finley Clark. We're happy to have you on the broadcast. Hi. So happy to be here. Thank you. Um, it's the first time we've interviewed you, and um, you've got your first published song out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're gonna actually show the video um, from lessons uh, from a great cult leader from your YouTube. It's it's more mm -hmm. like a lyric mm -hmm. video, right? So we're gonna show that yeah. video, and then we're gonna talk about um, your music. We sent you some questions, so we're gonna cue that up. We actually have it ready to go, so you'll see it coming up. So that's the preview, and then we're we'll put you on mute, and then we'll play the whole length of the video, and then we'll we'll talk about your music and this song in particular, and everything that you did to um, get this published. So like, hold on, and um, we'll bring you back right after we finish playing the video. Okay. Okay. Wait for me at the Sin City Gate Cause I've burned all the bridges then build them back again But how come I still need ya? After all this time We were wild like Marilyn and Dita We like putting on a show and giving fever The lessons from a great call leader Will last you a lifetime Tell my mom Thank you. 
we're back, and that was lessons from a great cult leader from Finley Clark. And uh, we'll go back to our full view. So um, that's a really interesting song. I like the guitar on it. It's really cool. I mean, um, and and in the in the actual title, I'd like to like understand like what what your um the whole story behind the song and what it means to you. Because I know the audience can kind of interpret your lyrics in the, in their own way, but I'd like to understand from us as a singer songwriter um what what your um what your meaning is behind behind the title i uh, wanted to make a song about uh topics that are a bit sensitive uh and you know i feel like every everybody goes through moments where they come across people that are more and less more or less toxic but i wanted to make a song about that that people can also dance to. I didn't want to make a, a sad mm. ballad about it. Uh, so I kind of wanted to find an umbrella term for toxic people in general that unwillingly teach uh, us a lot of lessons throughout our life. They teach mm. us how to uh, become better at maybe spotting them and avoiding them <laughs> you know yeah. like yeah. never a mistake always a lesson so i yeah. didn't want it to make it sound like lessons from toxic people i wanted to make it sound like lessons from from a great co-leader because toxic people don't necessarily intend to be mentors or to teach us anything that can be used in our advantage but unwillingly they do teach us in the end a lot of things about ourselves and about life yeah, i think that's interesting because like a, a leader you know they have a lot of influence and so if you have like you have a you know a leader that's benevolent then you have you know that that type of um outcome but when you have a toxic leader uh and i think <laughs> in the last four years in the u.s we've kind of experience that from one way or the other but um yeah i think it's a worldwide yeah. phenomenon you know there's there's like many many examples in history of toxic leaders you know uh, that 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 they drove their countries into the ground you know hitler is a good example you know stalin good example Idi i mean yeah you know and then yeah I, like I didn't want to get too political yeah yeah but um yeah well, it kind of is inherent in what you're saying. I mean, I understand you, you didn't want to get too political, but when you say toxic leader, your mm -hmm. audience can interpret it however they want to interpret it. I'm not trying to put what you believe, but but as a as, a, as somebody in the audience that, that hears that, they're going to kind of, well, who's the toxic leader in history? I think yeah. they, would, they would bring that up. Um, tyrants, but, most of the time. Yeah, tyrants. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, in, you know, Hitler, I think everybody can agree. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but so I won't get into more modern leaders because that's more political. Um, so maybe get into the questions because uh, then we'll get we'll kind of back into your first single again. But I like to get the history. We'll start at the beginning. Like when did you first get into music? At like what age? So I grew up. Um, I was a kid. Uh, I was about five or six years old when uh, I joined the church choir and then the school choir. And I also kind of always perceived music as 
linked to dancing because I also did rhythmic gymnastics. So when mm -hmm. I write music, I try to I try to create sonically um, music that I can dance to. But I think it's important, you know, because like in you know within the U.S., like the African American tradition of music has always been kind of very rhythmic, very kind of dance focused or beat focused. If you go back to the soul music, had a really good beat like Motown, um, and in today's with hip hop uh, and even rap before yeah. that, um, yeah, it's, it's I think, but you can always say something because it's interesting. Like you have have a beat, but then you're saying something that's really interesting because most pop songs don't have a title like your title, and and they don't they go they don't go into that. It's more like okay, let's we'll have fun, let's we'll do this. But your title kind of invites that you're 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 bringing a level of seriousness in. Which is interesting, um, but um, so when you started to get into music, like, when did you want to write your own music? Because a lot of people like they they start they learn classical music, they learn you know piano or violin. Did you focus on your voice, or did you focus on other like learning an instrument? Uh, I was focusing on my voice as I did both school choir and church choir, um, and. I, at some point, I just started writing poems. I was around 11 when I did start writing poems. Now, and, when you wrote the poems, yeah. did, did, they, did you start to like change them to, to become like songs? Because poetry in itself, sometimes, you know, spoken word poetry is different than lyrics. When did you kind of figure out the, like, how, the, how to actually adapt poetry into like musical lyrics? In high school, I did that. Yeah, I so, just write. Yeah. So, did you have music projects before what you're doing now? Did you release music, or did you have you held on to most of your music until this it, this release? It was more about live sessions and jam sessions. Uh, for example, in college, I had this project about um, playing Shakespeare sonnets as music mm -hmm. um, okay, so, so sessions with acoustic guitar yeah gym sessions so what made you want to actually take it to the point where now you're releasing you know commercially was that the overall goal when you first started that you um, wanted to do that no i think it just happened really i it was never planned i just became really, I guess, experienced at writing. And mm -hmm. I like the idea of telling stories through um, different mediums, you know, filmmaking, music, but I love music the most. Um, it's the kind of language that everybody understands and it just comes easy to me. So so um, when you um, realized that you had a talent and you started writing your own material, this is this song part of a, a bigger set of songs? And, you know, did you choose this one? Is it actually part of like an album or an EP? Or, or are you going to be doing additional singles? Um, yeah, I, I will definitely be releasing additional singles and then eventually turn this into an EP and then hopefully into an album. 
So is a lot of the music already written or you're in, you're in the process of writing it? Uh, some of it, it's already written and it's almost done. I'm just um, releasing it um, gradually. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so when you wrote the music, was it written in the last year, like during the pandemic? Yes. And yes, when it you was. Write, that's that's cool. Um, okay, the question is like, was it hard to do that? Because um, is are you primarily like uh, your own producer? Were you able to do everything yourself, or did you have to work with other people? Uh, I work with a small studio in my hometown. Um, for recording and mixing and mastering. I also started producing uh, music in Ableton Live 11. Um, Yeah. And sometimes I just play piano. I just improvise. It really helps me find the kind of sound that I want to translate. Oh, so Um, piano is is your writing instrument? Do you use piano as the primary writing instrument or do you use guitar or do you use both? Yes, it, I, I use a, I have an Arturia. Uh, yeah, I just so like play an Arturia, it. And... Like an Arturia Key Lab hooked up to like mm-hmm. a... 49 Key Lab, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a good machine. So you're using it hooked up to, to the Arturia suite of sounds, or do you use like a mm-hmm. software? Well, I use it with Ableton. Ableton, so you get your sound, you get your sounds from Ableton. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in the DAW, how much work do you do on your demos as as a singer songwriter? Do you write like a, a demo that's pretty close to the finished product, or is it more raw and then you finish it in the studio? I usually record the melody. So when I when I write songs, I write the lyrics with the melody in mind. Um, it's never just the melody and then I add the lyrics or vice versa. It always has to be both at the same time. So when a lyric comes to me or maybe like a, a full segment of a song, it's always with melody included and I just try to create create like a little demo in in DAW, in Ableton. So do you often like write at the piano? Cause let me, I'm a, I'm a keyboardist myself and I find sometimes like I might be writing, like, you know, you write in different ways. Like sometimes I voice memo something when I'm out on a walk or yeah. write it on, on a napkin. But when I'm in front of my keyboard, cause I have like, I'm a, I'm a synthesis. So I have all these like Rollins and stuff um, and Moogs. And and I find that like if I'm in on my Moog, because uh, it's an analog synthesizer, sometimes it is very, it kind of is very experimental. It it will create all kinds of weird rhythms. And if I put my microphone near me and I just start playing with what the Moog gives me, I find that I get like it's it's actually really helpful to actually write you know a stream of consciousness lyric right at the board, um, and then maybe work on it. Over the years, I found that I like writing that way. That my my scratch, like mm-hmm. initial demo, is usually at the board. Just that I found that I, I like the stream of consciousness style of of writing. Everybody has their own style. I just wondering, mm-hmm. have you done that? Is that part of what you do? Um, well, I don't know if it's because I have a degree in literature or not. I've always 
been kind of a storyteller. So uh, even though stream of consciousness is a really good medium, I I prefer to frame the story as part of a certain concept. You know, like I rely a lot on escapism and the idea of creating a, a, a sound that is transportive that can take you to a different world you know i i like uh the 70s as inspiration you know and americana so i when i make music i like to kind of like send you into a different dimension you know like you're just listening with your headphones on but and you're in a room but you're really yeah. like the song takes you different places. I think that's interesting when you bring up the seventies, you know, I'm a child of the seventies. I'm in my fifties. And um, I, I kind of think of like progressive bands like Pink Floyd and yes and, and Genesis. And what I liked about those bands were, was the fact that they, um, you know, super experimental. I mean, if you start the original Pink Floyd with Sid Barrett, it was like very psychedelic. Yeah. And then they became, more like a rock opera band, like the Who. They continued like mm -hmm. the idea that Pete Townsend had with Tommy and Quadrophenia, with like you know Dark Side of the Moon, and Wish You Were Here. And and what I liked about that that time period is like you know I would go buy an album on vinyl, and I bring it home, and it isn't like today where everything's like a playlist. You go buy it, you bring it home, and you put your headphones on and you listen to the whole thing, and it was like it was yeah. a very a cool experience because you got to hear an artist's complete thought. You know, mm -hmm. that it wasn't just one song, it's a whole suite of songs and they're all interconnected. So I guess the yeah. question as a writer, is your work gonna be kind of album centric or interconnected songs? Is that how you write or each song is its own thing? Definitely uh I, I definitely write songs that are part of the same universe. You know, like for example, Stephen King, he writes novels that are usually centered in the same area of Maine, you know. Yeah. Um, I kind of write music from the same place, you know, like it's like a small town and you're just, you get, you're getting to know the streets, you know, you're just taking a walk and, and like discovering a like songwriters yeah. i think sometimes can can bring you in like a filmmaker or, mm -hmm. or, or like a playwright right so if a really good songwriter like you think about the classic songwriter like bob dylan and when bob dylan yeah. did like, like like tangled up in blue you listen to that song it is is a story about his divorce but he has all this allegorical stuff in it and it's supposed to be his most personal record but he still uses like third person characters in the song and it's about him and his wife and it tells this yeah. like, amazing story that is very personal but he still kind of separated himself from it and i think that was the, the, the brilliance of that album is like it's his most personal album but he still separated himself with these layers of characters and i think that was like that's always been like a really inspirational to me because when i look at dylan's work it's just so deep and the way he does things the way he creates these characters and I can kind of imagine the scenes he sets. And that's, I think that's the brilliance of it. Like when you're a really good songwriter, 
you can invoke pictures in your audience's mind. Yeah, definitely. I I like to use metaphors. Sometimes I tend to hide to hide behind metaphors and I think of songwriting as having a diary that everyone can see. So sometimes I I get a little bit cryptic about mm -hmm. what I'm saying, but I I like to express myself through my songs. So obviously it's personal, but I also want people to be able to relate to what I'm saying. So that's why I think storytelling plays a huge role in, in my songwriting process. And when you say you're cryptic, I think like all poets like to do layers, right? Like I'm a big fan of Victorian poetry and they had like concepts like little death, which is a way of talking about sex without talking about it in a direct way. And, and I always thought that that was really interesting. And you, you can get into poets like Wordsworth or Tennyson, right? Or you could get into a guy like William Blake. And William Blake, what I liked about his poetry, you know, you know, fearful, tiger, tiger, fearful, thy symmetry. His poems are so simple, right? And they're structured, but they get to the point. Yeah. And then if you, if you look at like Wordsworth or Tennyson or Lord Byron, it's a lot more verbose, right? Than what yeah. Wordsworth, Wordsworth kind of fits like songwriting in some ways, because a lot of his poetry, you can translate into, into like modern songs um, in, in an easier way than looking at something like Lord Byron or Tennyson. Um, but it's still got layers of, of like cryptic mm -hmm. concepts. Uh, and so I, I always, I was, I'm a big fan of, 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 of doing, uh, you know, not being so direct. Because a lot of times today in music that people are really direct. Um, and, and like the hip hop genre yeah. is very, very direct. And I'm like, okay, I'm more of a fan of the older um, hip hop where it was less direct <laughs> and more layered. And you could band like Dale Soul, like more psychedelic hip hop. And it had some kind of, you know, like George Martin Beatle esque aspects to it. Um, mm -hmm. It's always been Mike, and the Beatles have always been a big inspiration to me. You know, everybody says that, but you have to go look at the records, you know, Rubber Soul, and yeah, you look, you look at like uh, Sergeant Pepper's or Abbey Road, and you know anybody, can, you know, if you look at people like that, like Dylan, Neil Young, the Beatles. Uh, I think as a singer songwriter, you got to kind of give props to the people who came before you, um, and look at what yeah, they did. definitely. So is yeah, I, I also. Go, go ahead. Well, I wanted to say that the Beatles and Bob Dylan are also some of my biggest inspirations. Also, the Velvet Underground. Oh, wow. Yeah. Velvets yeah. are Andy, Andy Warhol and the Velvets um, are really <laughs> big inspiration to me um, because I like the idea of a happening. I don't know if everybody knows what used to happen in New York, but it was, a, it was like a performance art thing. Right? So you'd have like the exploding inevitable was one of the, like this part of the Andy Warhol scene was this like group called exploding inevitable Warhol, all these actors, all these like um, performance artists and, you know, Lou Reed and the Velvets, and they would do these big happenings and have screens and have this psychedelic artwork and acting and, and performance art. And it kind of is what you see today at festivals. You'll see people doing 
similar type of structures and this stuff was done you know in the 60s uh, you know mm-hmm. frank zappa did the same thing i mean if you look at frank zappa and the mothers that yeah. we mentioned they were famous for doing the same type of thing in san francisco instead of new york um but yeah i think the velvets like i found out about him when i was like 18. i read an article in rolling stone yeah and um and it said that these all these all these artists were inspired by this band and i had never heard of them i said well, who's who were these guys and i went and got all the records and i was like oh my god and it totally changed how i wrote songs because i was trying to be like led zeppelin right i was trying to sound like i had my own band i was 18 years old i'm trying to sound like mm. zeppelin i'm trying to sound like the beatles and then i heard this other d- different way like this is like the beginning of like this is like i'm playing like a 78 79 80 in my basement with my brothers uh mtv just showed up and you know i was, I was a child of the 70s so zepp was really big then i heard this velvet underground i'm like well this is kind of punk you know this is like lo-fi this is not what zeppelin is doing and then everybody in the band yeah. was like, yeah, this, this is a different way of doing it. And we kind of got into this punk aesthetic. And um, the punk aesthetic, we like it because it's got that honesty. You know, it, it, it kind of strips away all the pretensions and gets down to like the, the stooges. You know, like Iggy Pop and the stooges are also yeah, yeah. a big inspiration. That's, I, I think that's more like proto-punk, but yeah. Yeah, so what do you so it's, it's like when you say the velvet, how much of the velvet underground kind of style influences what you do now? I think I I really like clarity and transparency in in kind of like being bold about what you're saying, you know, like even if I I sometimes hide behind metaphors in my songs, I I still uh deliver a pretty self-explanatory message you know and just being bold enough to to do that i think it's something that i've i've noticed uh musicians like lou reed did you know and yeah, it's lou it's kind of like yeah yeah it's just accepting yourself your desires the the way you feel about life and just not asking for anyone's permission or yeah you're just expressing yourself yeah i think what's interesting about lou he was willing to push the standards right so you sound like walking the wild side got past the censors and and it has content in it that people didn't even understand what he was really saying right Uh, at least the censors didn't and they let it go through and 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 if you think about like you know they're in the middle of the 60s everybody's doing pop songs and hippie songs and peace songs and he's talking about you know drug addiction sadomasochism all kinds of you know he's being very direct he's talking about things that are not typical pop topics and um and you know yeah. they didn't they didn't do that well but what happened is like so many other musicians and songwriters heard this stuff that they you know it inspired like generations of other songwriters to 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 take those mm-hmm. risks and 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 then Lou eventually was like you know he was he was acknowledged and and eventually he was able to get the level of success that he couldn't get in 67 or 68 um but it took time and in the, in the world today it's so things are so immediate i was just wanted to ask you about 
like in songwriting today, there's so many people that say, well, can you sound like Drake? Or can you sound like Beyonce? You get, you get, you get people who, producers that want to clone existing styles. And what mm-hmm. I find interesting about what you're doing is it's not, it doesn't, it's not a clone of, of anything I hear currently. It, it, it's very uniquely yours. I can kind of hear where it comes from, but it doesn't sound like anything mm-hmm. else. And it seems like that's your intention. And so that is that the, do you work with producers that that want to kind of mold you to the, what they want, or do you've always been like, I want, I know what my sound is, and I want to pursue people who are going to just enhance what my my own idea is. Yeah, I think it's the latter, definitely. Like I already have the vision, you know, and I listen to music from the early 2000s, you know, like Pink and Blink-182, but I also listen to Bob Dylan. Like one of Bob Dylan's most important songs to me is Subterranean Homesick Blues, you know, like the message of that song is, yeah. And I'm like, how can I possibly, you know, I also listen to Louisiana Blues, you know, Dr. Jones. A lot of that's good stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot, uh, a lot of music that is kind of like the very different genres, and uh, I didn't intend to create this fusion, um, but it just kind of happened. Yeah. How would you describe your genre? Like, if you're gonna go to an A and R guy at a radio station, and he's gonna spin your record, and he says, "I need to know three." categories or three genres that your music is in what would you tell them electropop yeah i mean i i i think it's like a a wider thing was like alternative or indie that is like really wide open but electropop kind of is more modern i think more people would understand it because like alternative kind of people think of like 90s and indie people Mm -hmm. go back so those those were those genres kind of make people go go back 10 years, 20 years. And so electropop, I think, is more current. And so, yeah, that, but it's mm-hmm. hard because I think what you're doing is is like what I like to do. I, I created this idea, my own low indie label, Expansive Sound Experiments. And the idea is, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of the original electronic musician. Like a lot of people hear about electronic music and they think about it like EDM or trance. Yeah. Right. But I'm going back to like Keith Emerson or, you know, Bernie Wall from Funkadelic, you know, like, uh, you know, the, I'm talking about, you know, Tony Banks from, from Jackson. When I talk about electronic music, I'm talking about the guys that actually pay, play these big stacks of synths. That's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Uh, and a lot of people think electronic music is like, you know, EDM. And that's more produced in a DAW or in a studio and yeah. it performed. And what I like to do is actually take my hardware sense and actually play real synthesizers in, in public, you know, live, like, um, like the way they used to be played. Um, and so it, yeah. it's a mixture of progressive and rock and punk and anything I, I feel like doing. If I want to go sing like, like a, you know, Folsom Prism Blues by Johnny Cash and do it with my Moog, I'll do it. You know, if I want to play "Waiting for the Man," I'll do that. You know, if I want to play, play a funkadelic song or Stevie Wonder's "Saturn" or something, I'll go do that. Because it's kind of whatever I feel like. Um, and 
it's hard today when people, you, know, you go to a club and they think, oh, you, you must be EDM. You must be trance. You must be this. You must be trapped. And I'm like, no. I'm, you know, it's it, it, like, it's hard because they want to, they want, it, it seems like they want to pin you down. Um, and a lot of artists, you know, you don't want to get pinned down. It's true, but I also think that, you know, what they say that uh, the, the art is in the eye of the beholder. So anyone interprets the music from their own experience, through the filter of their own experiences. And if to some people it sounds more EDM, or if to some people sounds more rockabilly, then who am I to say? I mean, as, as long as they like the message, I'm, I'm cool, you know? Because I myself listen to a lot of different music genres, but I think electropop is a, is a good definition for it because, yeah, I, I have nothing against electronic music. Um, it's kind of like linked to the uh, development of technology after all. Like, of course, you can still play drums with the drum kit, but now you just, you can create beats in a DAW. There are alternate ways to do things through electronic means. And why do that? Why take advantage of what technology can provide to you? Yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, part of what I like to do is, is work with live musicians, like work with a drummer, you know, work with a guitar player. But sometimes, if I, you know, during the pandemic, I pretty much was like, like in most musicians, I was kind of stuck in my studio. So like, okay, I got an 808, you know, I got like a Lynn drum machine, I'm going to use them. But I'm kind of like, I don't, I'm kind of old school. I use like hardware tape mm -hmm. recorders, gas amps, and I hook them up to hardware synths. And so I, I write in a kind of more organic way because I don't write on the grid. I use like mm. hardware recording. And so it sounds a little different than if you go on the grid because you don't get locked into all the timing that the grid controls you. Like you actually are playing manually, um, which is kind of harder to do. And if you say, why would you make yourself do that? They, why don't you just quantize it? It's like, well, sometimes I don't want it quantized. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But, uh, it's like taking it's, pictures on film. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. But it's interesting because you have really interesting guitar work on your on your albums. Like, who who did that work with you? Is like those are musicians that you work with. Uh, yeah, I uh, I work with this guitar player, and he is so open to my visions. Like, I literally just started humming the exact way I wanted it to sound. And he just played it just the way I I was suggesting. And we did that for a while, you know, just very repetitive, very repetitive. I was also dancing to it in the studio at the same time to kind of like check if if this is uh if if the vibe is, is it working? I don't yeah. know, upbeat enough. Yeah? yeah. And then after like 10 minutes or something, I was like, yep. Yeah, that's our solo. That's our guitar solo. So, so is, is, I, I like working with people that that understand my vision and they they're open, you know. Yeah. So is that type of guitar playing going to be on a lot of your other music, or is that like a one-time thing? Because I guess without hearing the rest um, of your catalog, is is that 
kind of representative of what your sound is or is it not representative? Well, for the next song that I will be releasing, which is um, a love song, but it's more on the punk side. I actually work with a uh, guitar player from Vancouver. Um, it was a remote project. His name's Paul Kidman. And yeah, I, I work with, with musicians that understand my vision. So I usually work at a studio. Uh, uh, I work with the studio here in my hometown, but I am also open to remote projects. So it, would, would you say that a lot of your good songs, a lot of your material is going to have guitar on it? Or is that, you know, some songs will and some songs won't? But it sounds like the the two songs there, the first song that is out now um, has guitar. And then you have, you're saying that the next song is going to have more of a punk sound. Is is guitar a big part of your sound? Yeah. I, um, it's either like 80s synth pop. So you have like synthesizer, uh, synthesizers, or like you said, Moog synths, or um, guitars, and sometimes just fusing both of them. Um, so yeah, I think in the future there will be way, way more songs with that, with guitar on them than songs without <laughs> guitar on them. But also like, I, I really like, like synth pop. Like I grew up kind of like listening to modern talking and Depeche yeah. Mode and I cannot really go back from that. You know, like I, yeah. I definitely wrote some songs that also have synth on them and it's kind of like the realm that i create in i think it's interesting when you talk about depeche mode because i i grew up like right when that started like joy division i saw joy division like like when they first hit like in 79 and um I, it was like revelation you know i love what terrors apart i was like it was a very simple line on on the synth but i was like wow that's really powerful and then you know ian curtis passed away and then it became New Order. And then when I, once I heard New Order, I said, wow, that is really, it was like that new, the new, it was like new romantic. Like it was this new wave, new romantic thing. Bowie had kind of did stuff, you know, like that with Brian Eno in, in, in the mid, late 70s. He did some very experimental stuff. It is kind of pre-new romantic. And I was into that with Lowe and, and you know, and, and, um, and his Berlin work. But when I heard Ian Curtis and, and, Enjoy division, and then they became New Order. I was like, "Wow, I was just hooked on it." And the thing about that new wave, it's it's got synths and guitar. There's a lot of guitar, and it's not just synth; it's like both. And I was always a big fan of the integration in new wave, of not just having synth, but also having really good guitar. Um, and it's mm -hmm. it's been insp an inspiration even till now. Cause, you know, synth wave bands are kind of just you know bringing that back. But like I'm kind of a big fan of new romantic, new wave. I've, I've kind of that, that's just like yeah, I, I grew definitely. up with it. You know, is this something I grew up with? And I'm you know showing my mm -hmm. age, but is this something I like to do? Because <laughs> if you're gonna play a Moog, you're gonna probably play something like a New Order song. You know, <laughs> you, you're gonna you're, you're gonna mm -hmm. you're gonna play a Pat on a Prophet Five or something, or a Jupiter Eight or a One O Six. You're gonna you're gonna go back and look at the you know Duran Duran. And New Order, and you know all these great bands from that time period, and it's just uh, it's very 
no, I, what I liked about it was it took the punk attitude and they made it poppy, you know, and it made it danceable. So you had this kind of punk aesthetic, but then you've got actual songwriting with melody and hooks and you can hear it's not just a punk attitude. You actually have good melody and good voices, um, which I think people appreciate. Even to this day, you know, hear a lot of a lot of new wave elements are in modern songs. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds cool. I, I, I mean, think you, so too. Yeah. Yeah, you're really like in 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 the way you write. It's interesting because you have a lot of things that um, interest me as a musician. You you're doing. You know, like you 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 got that that love for like the fact that you name checked Lou Reed and the Velvets. That's always like a good thing to me. <laughs> Anybody that like understands the Velvet Underground in 2021 uh, is always like very cool to me that that you appreciate that. This 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 is this is something I I just know because they're a big inspiration to me, and I've always been very impressed with, with their style. Uh, and then Dylan, the fact that you bring up Dylan, it, it just shows that you know that you know the history, and you're and you're moving forward. And you have your own style, but to have that appreciation for some of the like those type of iconic artists, I think, is is a good way to to be, or or have a good starting point. Yeah. So um, one of the other questions we talk about is, um, you know, we talk about the DAW. You do work on a DAW, and you you work in a recording studio. But how much were you able to go to the recording studio? Did you just have to send stuff in and then get stuff sent back, or did you? Were you able to go in to the recording studio to do this record? So during the lockdown, I wasn't really able to go to the studio because they were, you know, studios were closed in, in my area. Uh, so I was just working remote. And that's kind of like, you need a lot of patience for that because we're talking about different time zones and just emails back and forth meetings and i'm also very specific about what i want so that can take a long time to, really to come to fruition was it coming i know with musicians like i've talked to a bunch of musicians and they're like like a drummer i was talking to this drummer and he was like he was having a very hard time doing remote collabs because his mm -hmm. style of playing he was kind of dependent on the artist being in the studio because he kind of like would get cues from the guitar player get cues from the from the bass player not that he couldn't do it he just didn't enjoy it he just like i he really didn't like it because he didn't feel it was really giving him the best way to perform i just i don't really have a problem with that um i am pretty spontaneous in general but I just noticed that I work way faster in an actual studio than remotely, you know? Like when I'm in the studio, I can also improvise, just come up with stuff on the spot and finish way faster. Like I can finish a song in like six hours max, like everything, you know? I don't really... Yeah take breaks i mean maybe i should but uh <laughs> i just get caught cool. up with everything and i love the process but with remote work i think it's the future because obviously why wouldn't you want to collaborate with someone 
in Australia or New Zealand or I mean if you have the possibility why why not take advantage of that but um maybe at the moment we still need to like develop tools or softwares that can maybe facilitate communication uh, between artists around the world. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm actually in my um another another job I have. I'm collaborating with an inventor that is uh, working on uh, like virtual studios that have very low latency, which means that you could actually mm -hmm. record live in like different locations and not have latency problems and actually have a feel like you're actually working together um, working on stuff like that is a side thing that I'm into technology but um, yeah I think the big problem I have with with is the lack of being able to feel like you're in a virtual environment where you could kind of just freeform jam you know a lot of what I do as an old school kind of synth player with hardware synths on a big stack is like I, I play with a drummer, I play with a bass player, I play with a guitar player, and we kind of, like like the Allman Brothers or something, or like Funkadelic. That's what I like to do. I, I like, I, I, a lot of my recordings are recorded at a, at a jam session that then evolve, kind of like in a Frank Zappa way, I'll go back and listen to tapes and then splice one tape from one performance with another one and take an idea from this one and that one. But it all came from like live jamming and then we kind of construct it. And and when you can't live jam, it's harder to do that, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, I can appreciate like like now everybody's getting vaccinated and places are starting to open up. In the U.S., we still have like not full capacity. So the question: Do you have places you can play where it's actually like worthwhile? Because the, the capacity makes sense to do it. Like a lot of times, like in the U.S., like if we can't. You can only play at twenty five percent capacity, and it's not even worth it to go to New York, right? Because I'm in I'm in New Hampshire. I have to go like mm. four hours, and it you won't make enough money to justify driving four hours to do that, because because the, the place won't yeah. have enough tickets, and you can't make enough money back for the money you put into it. Um, is is that still a problem where you are? Are you able to do live performance yet? Um, I mean, not really. Just jam sessions with friends because obviously there were limitations and just a lot of restrictions even with um parties you know like we kind of switched from um going to clubs or festivals to uh now organizing house parties you know <laughs> uh, but thankfully festivals are now reopening like for example uh, there is this festival in the UK called Victorious in Portsmouth um, in August, and I'm just really excited to to go there. Um, it's it's really there? cool. Uh, I will have a I will have a booth there uh, with merch, and um, yeah, I I'm really excited to. Uh, just get back on the road. Just, it's cool to be back yeah. on the road. <laughs> to actually go to an yeah, event. Yeah, also be around like-minded people and just, yeah, yeah. making yeah, friends. I think, mm -hmm. I think that's the big problem with 2020 um, was that you know, musicians, we kind of live on our connection, right? So you go play, 
like if I go to New York and I play in a club, right, and it's like electronic music night, and I get to see like ten other bands. By the end of that night, I connected with all those bands, right? I connected with the radio DJ came, the bloggers that came. Everybody's like connecting, and that's how you get your next gig. That's how you get your next, you know, feature or whatever. That, and it's harder to do that on the net. I mean, I, with this podcast, I've been able to actually do it um, because I connect with people through four different musicians a week. Um, but you know, not everybody has a podcast, and so you know, you know, it, it the physical face to face interconnection that people have, um, I think, was a big detriment to a lot of musicians um in 2020 and hopefully 2021 2022 we can get into a better place yeah i'm pretty optimistic about it i mean i think people want to party now more than ever so the sky's the limit that's interesting you're talking about house parties i never thought about that i mean i know when i first started when i was a teenager that's what it, you know my 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 garage band that's what we did but you know, I never thought yeah. about doing that. You know, but that may that you kind of brought a new idea in my head and say, hey, that might be a good idea. Cause there are some house parties like in the US where these houses aren't like normal houses, they're like little mansions. <laughs> so you, you can have actually a, a bigger party than you thought. You know, you can actually have two hundred people at somebody's house, um uh in some places. Um, so that might actually be just as good as going to a club. Cause some of the problems in the pandemic in the u.s i don't know if it's happened where you are like some venues have permanently closed and we don't know yeah. what's going to replace them are you have did you have the same kind of problem um not really i just i don't know i still go to the same places that i used to go to before the pandemic um okay. and even closed. more so now that it's summertime and there are a lot of outdoor uh hubs if you want to call them like that for jam sessions you know where people just come to have like, like a picnic and they can also listen to musicians play their instruments so have you been one of the questions we have is like have you been actively collaborating um, on other people's projects or have you been totally just focused on creating your own brand and your own own project are you like doing features on other people's um, records, producing other people's records i am currently uh collaborating with a, a hip-hop artist and um i will be making a song for his projects and he will be making a song for my future ep so it's kind of like like a mutual Think. I don't know. I really, I really like hip hop too. Like I said, I listen to a lot of music genres, and I, I really like the way he writes his lines, and it's just amazing. So, when you work um, with other people, do you still go by Finley Clark, or do you change your persona, or you just? Because some people, I, I know artists that like if they work in a totally different genre and they don't know if their fans will follow them, they actually use like a pseudonym <laughs> or do you use, just use your name regardless you, you don't do that just a question i mean to me there is no difference really like there's no persona um like i said i if anything 
I, I don't consider myself a character when it comes to my music, you know, like I'm not playing dress up or anything. I'm more of a narrator. Uh, so there's really no persona involved. Um, but yeah, I use Finley Clark for all of my projects. Me, yeah, for all my musical projects and beyond. <laughs> no, just good to know. So your fans, like the people who listen here, they'll be able to follow you and, and, and anywhere they see Finley Clark, they know that you're working on you. That, that's you. You, know, you, you. You're not changing your Because some people, you know, they, they it, it's just a choice they make when you, when you go to push yourself out there, you know. As, as a yeah, maybe if some point, maybe maybe if at some point I'll start a band or something. Yeah, I'll yeah, probably yeah. like think of a really funky name for a band, and yeah. just yeah. Just um, how, how, what the future holds? Well, I, I'm a big fan of like Bowie, right? So I, yeah. I like like when he, you know he started, he was David Jones. He tried to just be David Jones. It didn't work, right? Like Lady Gaga tried to be like who she was. It didn't work. And then she became Lady Gaga. So some artists, they, they create the stagecraft. They create a other them, other me. Um, and Bowie was famous, you know, you know, Aladdin saying he created like, you know, Thin White Duke, Ziggy Stardust. He would go into like character, like a character act, like a method act. And, you know, there were stories that, yeah. that Bowie actually stayed in character as Ziggy during the Ziggy time he'd actually stay in character like the whole time even when he was off stage he would stay as Ziggy um and that's just something he chose to do it's it's a, mm -hmm. it, he, was, he was more into theater and music at the same time um and then you have musicians are more pure musicians and are like they don't have time for that because I can understand like a jazz musician is like why would I go into character I'm gonna I'm gonna just play I mean, jazz is all about improv right. anyway, and just being spontaneous, just freestyling. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, being I'm, yourself. Yeah, big fan of Sun Ra and Monk and stuff like that. Um, so, have you thought of um, you know what the future of music is going to be? Because we kind of live in this playlisting age, where like you got to get on these playlists to get anywhere. Um, when you know i kind of more ep album focused i i'd like to do like micro uh releases of like vinyl and tapes and stuff because it works for my audience but in if you're trying to get a different strategy are you as a musician are you actively trying to to work with the way things are or are you doing it in a in a different way however you want it to be like, what is your overall, like, strategy for the music business today? Uh, to be honest, I really like the idea of vinyls. I, I have a vinyl collection myself. I like the idea that there's, like, a, an A side and a B side and everything's so organized. Um, but I also like the idea of playlists, you know? Like, it's true. Like, I, I'm a big fan of Spotify. And... To be honest, I I think I listen more to full albums than to singles. Like, if I want to listen to music, I'll just play an album, you know, as opposed to go to a playlist. That's why I like vinyl. But that's so just I'm, me. Yeah, I'm a child. Yeah, of I, I kind of use Spotify in a in an analog. 
old school way, you know, like I listen to full albums on Spotify. Um, but I think th this idea of playlists is also really cool. And I like the new radio. if that's the way things are heading towards, why, why not? Well, the I only thing I think um, I, yeah. I'm kind of wary of on a playlist is like, like it doesn't represent like your whole body of work as an individual artist. Like you might get put on a emerging artist playlist. That's pretty cool. Like I think if you get put on an emerging artist playlist, right, where you like the best of a genre, right? So if you get a in the best of like like yeah. Your, 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 well, your, I think that's only going to push artists to create more unique songs. Yeah, I, you know, I like, like if that. they only get this one shot to be on a playlist, they're gonna bring the best yeah, best song yeah, that they have. Trying to get they, in the old world, it's like trying to get to a big big radio station, right? The only way you yeah. you had to bring a game. But to me, the radio mm -hmm. PlayStation rotation list and like eighty-four yeah. or seventy-nine. How did you get on that? You had to have your best A game song. You're you're not gonna get on it. And the Spotify playlist mm -hmm. is not that different than that. Um, it's the same kind of idea. You get a DJ would have a show for like an hour, and he would choose to pick what he thinks was the hottest stuff, right? And so the playlist is 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 not that different to me. Except you don't have a, a DJ talking to it. <laughs> it's not say. like MTV or yeah, yeah. Not, not like top MTV forty, or, or it's not the like Casey Kasem doing the top ten. You know, yeah. it's not that. Or Dick Clark doing his his show. It's not that. But um, I think it's kind of cool when you do have you know, like programs on Apple and different like playlists where they're trying to bring in like announcers and and have people say something. Because I think it does kind of like give the vibe. I mean, I, I'm I'm still I'm kind of a fan of that. I, I like the idea of having somebody presenting a, a, a set of music and maybe introducing a little bit, because then mm -hmm. you can actually know a little bit about the artist before you hear them, and they say, "Oh, there's this artist from Los Angeles, or they're from the UK," and they give you a little bit of a heads up of who they are instead of just having it all strung together. Um, but I'm I'm kind of old. <laughs> But yeah, so yeah. are you thinking of of doing a vinyl for what you're gonna do? Uh, vinyl, yeah, that will be the dream, you know. Um, I'd love to have a vinyl, um, but obviously, until then, there are a few more steps that I need to take first, you know, like releasing an EP, an album, and then I'll probably eventually release a vinyl as well. Why not? I love to. Yeah, because it's a cool thing. And like when I go to, I, I went to New York back in 2017 and I had like a micro release of like CDs and tapes and vinyl. And I didn't run that many copies. I remember like a, like a thousand copies. Um, just because then, you know, I found that like if I showed up at a venue in New York or Boston, I could sell them. I could actually, you know, it's like selling out the back of your trunk or whatever. Like hip hop people say, oh, I'm telling the tape out the back of my trunk, but but it's like it it works. Like if you if you go to a merch table and you have vinyl, and, and you sign it, and you give them a little poster or a little button with it, your fans are more likely to be engaged because they they get closer to you. 
I find that that the level of engagement they, with your fan that they get, you know, more likely that the fan that bought that is going to buy something else that's actually going to show up at your next gig because they actually connected with you um, mm-hmm. in, in a way so different. Um, and so I'm a big fan of that type of thing. I think that you, you don't have to run hundreds of thousands of copies, you know, like the record companies try to tell you. You, you can actually do it like a micro level um, mm-hmm. and, and be successful and not go into debt, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and actually be able yeah. to give the film something and then you're satisfied. And it's not, you know, super worldwide, but you can, you know, give people something that's kind of special because it's a limited edition, you know, and then. Yeah, you know, definitely. It gives you. Like I, I like, I like the idea of, of people connecting to to the music um more so through the music itself um not necessarily through merch i mean of course it's interesting you know like vinyls are cool you know t-shirts whatever but at the end of the day it's all about the music yeah, and that's the way think, I personally feel about the the musicians that I listen to, you know, like I think I think merch is just important because the way we get paid, like if you get paid yeah. off your Spotify, um, you, you really don't make a lot of money. So I think merch has become a way that it's not it's like a necessary evil, or 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 you can decide mm. whether you do it or not. But a lot of American bands, um, they kind of are able to fund their music through their merch. And it's not that they yeah. want that to be the main thing, but in order to be able to do it, they they do the merch so they can actually do the, do the gig. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like they're trying to be, uh, you know, into into like just selling things like some, you know, mm-hmm. Avenue person trying to just push things on people. But it ended up being something that's actually necessary to the survival of the band. <laughs> um, it's true. It's true. And the people, you know, like musicians and artists in general, have always been creative with with the way that they can support themselves to create even more art for the people to enjoy. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you came on the show, and it's the. You know, we hope that when you have um, more projects to present, we like to talk to artists. You know, we've had people come on our show. We've been on the air since 2018. We've had, you know, mm-hmm. guests come on three, four times, you know, some people five times um, a- as they have new projects or have new things they want to talk about. You know, they come on and we get to see them with their new, you know, what they want to talk about. Um, so, if, if that's something you're interested in, you know, give us give us a ring, and when you have um, more material or more projects to t- discuss with the audience, we can we can surely have have you come back on. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And this this has been live, as we said on our Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Permanent links will be sent out shortly. And uh, also, we are going to be on our eleven audio podcast partners to Anchor FM, which is a Spotify company. So we are part of Spotify. And so through, the, through that process, we get to be on Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, with many, many more. We're on 11 audio podcast platforms. So 
So within an hour and the next two days, all those 11 podcast platforms will have the audio version of this podcast. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Cheers. Bye.